This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Welcome to Inclusive Collective. I am your co-host, Rob Hadley, a people and culture strategist and DEI analytics consultant. And I am Nadia Butt, your other co-host. Um, I am a belonging strategist focused on infusing DEI practices and uh, leadership and organizational development. Nadia. So I was trying to come up with a question and I and, and I didn't come up with anything. So anyway, so yeah, so I have no question for you. So oh, well, I have a question. Okay. Once you get, you drink you sparkling water, a.k.a. Spindrift, who I think should actually um, sponsor this, but do you, do you drink Spindrift? <laughs> I do. I do. Okay, what's it your favorite a pricey. flavor? It is, it is pricey. I, I would yeah. say it is pricey. But what's your favorite flavor then? Uh, I think I'm a, I think I'm a mango. Ma oh. like that, that mango one. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Um, right now I'm currently drinking the blood orange tangerine, but my favorite is the lemon lime one. <laughs> well, you're in Boston, so you get all the flavors this is true. here in Utah. We just, we don't have that kind of flavor selection. So you're, well, we're limited. We're very limited. Bindrift, you heard it here first. Get yourselves in Utah <laughs> and sponsor uh, inclusive collective over here. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure they, they they seem like a very inclusive group there yeah. at, at Spindrift. Um, so it's 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 good. We have a little bit extra time to spend on introducing our guest today, uh, and we have a real treat, right? As we're shifting from talking about funding startups and investing in startups, and we come back to our company founders, we start to chat again with company founders and and talk about building culture. So how to attract, hire, and retain diverse talent, and to lead inclusively. So, and, we, and, and we're really excited. It's so much fun today. Uh, we couldn't have a better guest to talk about culture in a fast growing company yes. than Mohammed Anwar, president and CEO of Softway, a global technology as a service company. Also president and CEO of Culture Plus, a culture as a service company. Interesting to talk about that. He's also the co-creator and facilitator of Seneca Leaders. He co-hosts the Love as a Business Strategy podcast, and is a Wall Street Journal bestselling author of Love as a Business Strategy, Resilience, Belonging, and Success. Whew, I'm exhausted just so going through his bio, so all the yeah. things he does, right? Yeah, he does a lot. So, uh, and, and Mom, it's so great to talk to you on building culture in a company because his journey is so unique and he's very self-aware as, as we'll get to in telling his story of how he transformed his organization by focusing on building a human-centered culture there at Softway. As a preview, after founding the company at the age of 20 and growing it and experiencing a great deal of success, an economic downturn forced Muhammad to lay off a large portion of his team. He executed that layoff based on the advice of his executive and HR team at the time in what he refers to as a dehumanizing manner. Mm -hmm. No one-on-one conversations, no goodbyes, and no expression of sympathy for those being let go. 
So depressed by the, that turn of events, Muhammad attended the University of Houston college football game, American football game, uh, and he witnessed one of the sport's greatest comebacks ever. After the game, when the coach of the winning team was asked how that team could come back from such a deficit, mm-hmm. that coach replied that only love could make such a thing possible. Oh. So, yeah. So yeah. Muhammad details this in great detail in his book, Love as a Business Strategy. Definitely uh, encourage everyone to check that out. Um, but we begin our conversation with Muhammad as he describes that moment and its impact on how he thought about leading his own team. I was so impassioned by that victory that I was like, I'm going to go back Monday. I'm going to fight. I'm mm-hmm. not going to give up. I'm going to see Softly survive this. So Monday came along and I was ready to change the world <laughs> at Softway. And I logged onto Facebook Live to see then coach Tom Herman's press conference because I was so fascinated with how he turned our, our, our team around in the football program. So as I was watching the press conference, one of the reporters asked him, hey, um, you know, your team is quite resilient. What do you attribute to the comeback victory mm-hmm. that night and the resilience of your team? And what he said changed the course of my life from that moment in time because he basically answered and said it was the culture of love that this team had, which is why they were able to survive that night, which is why they were able to come back from a 20-point deficit. And he began to elaborate that it's a culture of love where it's not love you dog or love you bro kind of love. This is genuine love where you you have my heart in your hand Mm -hmm. type of love. And uh, these players go out there not on the field, not to fight for themselves, but they fight for their brothers next to them. They fight for each other, mm-hmm. not for themselves. So they're selfless on the field. And when you have that kind of love, you can do anything for the person you love on the field. And that's the kind of culture that wins championships. That's the kind of culture that wins and comes back with resilience. You can have the most talented players on a football team and not have the culture of love and you will not win championships. But you can have medium mm-hmm. talented players with the culture of love that binds them together. And those are the teams that mm-hmm. win championships. And so when I heard that, uh, that's when I had the moment of introspection. And I asked myself, do I love my team the way Tom Herman is describing? And the resounding answer mm-hmm. was no. And that's when I was like, okay, I got to find ways to figure out how to not just create this culture of love, but I got to first transform my behaviors and how I treat my team um, that from a place of love. And that's how the journey began. Hey, Mohammed, I'm, I'm so happy you shared that story. One, because I'm just so happy that we got to talk about college football on this podcast <laughs> for, for, the, for the first time. Okay. Uh, and, and so thank you for, for doing that. I did wonder, and I, and, and I love that story. I did wonder when you talk about, I didn't love my team. Are you saying that from a personal standpoint, you were outwardly projecting a culture of love and inclusiveness to your team or because I also, you know, I, I read part of your book and you said that, that some of the leaders that you had at the time, at the time, when you said, mm-hmm. this is how I'm going to run my company going forward, they questioned it. Some of them actually left yeah. the company. So where did those folks come from, uh, you know, were they people that you brought in as the company started to scale that you maybe didn't have the best 
relationship or or there was a conflicting mission or values just just tell me about that dynamic and, and what you mean when you said that you didn't necessarily love your team at that point sure so when i first started the company as a startup right i think we were very much an a culture of love i i founded the company with uh my classmates from college and my brother uh in india and we loved hanging out with each other we cared for each other and you know we do anything for each other we spent so much time together and we had so much fun solving problems taking care of clients like we could get through any obstacle in the startup phase of our business and as the business started to grow and we had to start scaling this is where we started to institute a lot of different mm. processes a lot of different systems and we looked to the corporate world that we interacted with to inspire our growth and our scale and that's when we became more business like mm. and less mm. human and there were times when my brother would cook food for our team when they would stay late for a project deliverable like he would make food himself and feed and like be there with the team eating and enjoying mm -hmm. the food or you know taking care of each other right that all existed mm -hmm. in the startup phase and somehow along the journey of scaling and growth we lost sight of that we lost that human connection and we became very business professional like and this uh the success started to get to my head where i'm like oh i'm having taste of success and i want more and more and i want to scale and and so i started to bring in senior leaders into the organization from the IBMs of the world the Microsofts of the world who I looked up to at the time as oh my gosh that's my dream company that I would like mm -hmm. our company to be like one day so I started to hire and recruit people who came in with a lot of tenure mm -hmm. a lot of experience and they looked at this 20 20 something year old guy and they started to mentor me and tell me mohammed you need to behave uh. a certain way you need to be more carrying yourself with this gravitas of a ceo you need to dress up a certain way you need to drive a better car when you show up to meetings <laughs> oh you, wow it, it went that far oh okay. yeah totally like yeah. they convinced yeah. me to go buy a $150,000 Porsche and i loved yeah. it but it drove right. me crazy like yeah. it's like all of this like about perceptions and like how to act how to behave and how to position yourself i was even coached into how i should sit and carry myself in the meetings and i was uh, and i'm not going to blame them i i sure. ultimately took it upon myself but we renovated our office and i used to work with the team when i was in that early stages like i literally sat through the nights programming or testing right. and doing things as we were growing they came along like hey, you 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 can't sit out here you need to have an executive wing oh, wow. you need to have a corner office of course <laughs> and and you're the ceo how is it going to look if customers come in and you're sitting right. in the bullpen area i basically lost humanity as our company grew and that's why our vision now is to bring back humanity to the workplace because i feel many startups many organizations start with that human connection the care and love for one another and along the way they lose that culture mm -hmm. because of scaling and growth and uh, i felt like i i lost it along the way a lot of it had to do with 
yeah, I, I was trained into being mm -hmm. that way uh, by other corporate veterans. And ultimately, I had to <laughs> identify that that was not the way I wanted to lead. It was time to change. And when I first declared to my team that I love them that Friday after the game, yeah, yeah. <laughs> people looked at me with <laughs> eyes wide What's open happening? and they're like, what the <laughs> hell is wrong with yeah. Mohammed? Is he crazy? Is he on crack? What is right. going on? There is still this mentality that I've observed where leaders are, are taught to behave or think or act in certain ways so that they set themselves apart. And I love this transformation that you're saying, like, no, we, as leaders to lead, we role model what we kind of expect, it sounds like, and leading kind of this, in this um, humanistic way, and with empathy and resilience and so forth. It's, I, I admire that. Now that you've reflected on what you're looking to build your team and the kind of the practices or the values that you want instilled. How do you go about building mm -hmm. the team? So what, um, because I, I think that's the multi-billion dollar question for a lot of leaders, especially now as we think about the great resignation and toxic cultures, how do leaders bring on, uh, attract, hire, and retain um, folks to help build diverse environment and inclusive environments? I think number one, uh, leaders have to, stop talking the talk and start walking the talk. Number one, you know, data recent study shows that people, even if they accept a job, uh, you know, 52% of them are already looking for another job within three months because they're recognizing that what I got hired or lured into this company isn't really what I was promised in the interview because they can see through it. Once they join, they can, they have the BS meter on that. Okay, that was all talk. The organization isn't really walking uh, the talk, right? And it starts with behaviors and it starts with leaders and their behaviors because we say culture is nothing but the culmination of how we treat each other. That's what culture is. It is defined by our behaviors towards each other. And, you know, there's a saying by uh, Peter Drucker that culture eats strategy for breakfast that we're very much believers of, but if that's true, then we have another statement that if culture eats strategy for breakfast, then behaviors eat culture for lunch. The expected behaviors in the organization have to be set and modeled by the leaders, thereby creating an environment of inclusion, resilience, and belonging. And those behaviors that we're guided by are inclusion, empathy, vulnerability, trust, empowerment, and forgiveness. And if we can model these behaviors and uh, and others around us experience these behaviors from not just their leaders, but also their peers, then you truly are instilling a culture of love that at least what we call it. And um, that's where you achieve highest performance. That's how organizations allow people to show show up with their true selves, feel included, feel respected, valued, can give feedback, receive feedback freely, share ideas without fear of repercussion or embarrassment. And that's how these people and teams become high performing. And when they're high performing, they can then go in and institute processes that truly unlock efficiency and or make technology decisions or create technology that truly mm -hmm. unlock innovation. Because if there is no trust, then you will see processes will be instituted to verify trust, thereby creating right. inefficiency. 
or if there is no true inclusion, you will see technology being deployed that excludes a certain demographic of people mm-hmm. altogether. And so if you really want to see your strategic system be successful, it starts with behaviors and behaviors at the bottom line that drive your financial statements, your drive your business mm-hmm. outcomes. So that's where it all begins. And so you'd have to model those behaviors and then hire, you know, for those behaviors. You know, we believe that you shouldn't be hiring for a culture fit. You should be hiring for a culture mm-hmm. ad, hence culture plus. Uh, so the idea is try and hire people that are different from you. I will tell you for mm-hmm. the longest time, I hired only South mm-hmm. Asian men that look like me, that behave like me, that had an educational background like me, because I thought that's what's mm-hmm. going to drive success. I need to hire people that are like me, that mm-hmm. think like me. Mm-hmm. And I made the biggest mistake. I had created uh, an environment of predominantly male, South Asian male in, mm-hmm. in our company. I had to break out of that mindset and recognize that I actually need to embrace difference and bring in difference, not just starting with mm-hmm. the identity and how we look, but also right. how we think and how we behave right. more importantly. And when we're able to bring in that element of diversity into the organization, we're able to harness the true power of ideation, innovation, which for the longest time, our company wasn't able to break out of this mold of innovation because we were stuck in the way we thought. We just couldn't think differently. We all had similar lived experiences. We all had similar cultural backgrounds and we only thought one way and we couldn't really come up with better ideas until we started to bring in diversity of talent. But the way we also brought in diversity uh, of talent from an identity standpoint into organization was organic. We started with looking for include by bringing in inclusive behaviors into our company, which are these six pillars that I described. They all make that ecosystem of inclusive behaviors. That's how we were able to really start hiring uh, organically, we started to bring in people from different backgrounds, genders, ethnicities, uh, mm-hmm. religions, uh, people of faith and geographical locations. And today our, our business is mm-hmm. very diverse without ever having a metric that measures the diversity. We just all did it organically by starting yeah, with inclusive that's phenomenal. Behaviors. Yeah. Say, say more about that. So if, you're, if you had a time machine, you could go back to, again, when you first started out or when you're just... Uh, still in that very early stage startup mode. Is that what you would tell young Mohammed in terms of, uh, in terms of building the company? Would you say, think more about outside of diverse characteristics and more into diversity of uh, lived experiences or thought? And, and, and how would you make that somewhat actionable? I would say the, that is correct. I would go back to my younger Mohammed and say, hey, Mo, you need to think differently. And that that thought process would be focus on your inclusive behaviors. Mm. And if you start there, you will ultimately get the outcome of building a diverse workforce. That's what I would give myself the advice. And I did not have inclusive behaviors, even towards people who Mm. look like me. Even when I hired an (laughs) Indian who looked like me, went to a computer science, computer engineering school, came out, had a degree, I still was not inclusive. If they like to meet at night, I said, no, let's Mm -hmm. meet at day. 
<laughs> if they said, I want to code on yeah. Java, they said, I want to code on a Java platform, I'd say no, code in right. C++. So I couldn't even embrace diverse thoughts from right. people who look like me. So it really boiled down to, I just wasn't inclusive. I was just not bringing my inclusive behaviors to the table. So it didn't matter if I hired people who look like me, I still was demonstrating shitty behaviors. Uh, apologies. I don't no, know if that no. counts as a curse. It's, but, it's, he's yes. happy. <laughs> we finally <laughs> got one. We finally got one. Yeah. Halo. I mean, right. and that's, yeah. you know, it's almost like you were in your own way, right? This, you were your own challenge. Yes. I want to go back to that time where you had, you know, you saw this, but you were watching this football game. You came back and you said, love is ultimately um, what I almost want to instill in the, in the, in the company and the climate. And right. So, Tell, talk to me about what that looked like in terms of action. Mm -hmm. So like, were you meditating? Did you have like a, a coach that gave you guidance or inspiration? Can you tell us and walk us through what that journey tactically like looked for you? Sure. To take us through that journey, first step I want to establish is that we have to recognize that us as humans and specifically leaders, as we climb the ladders of leadership, in the corporate world, we somehow lose our mm. self-awareness. We are disconnected from what the realities of how people are experiencing you. It just gets more and more distant. And, and so I would say that for myself and many leaders like myself, as success came by virtue of us doing things a certain way, we, our self-awareness gap increases. And so Essentially, as a leader, I had no self-awareness that I was being experienced a certain way. I thought I'm like the best leader. I'm like, I'm such yeah, a good yeah. boss, right? And in my mind, from my lens, I'm looking at myself saying something and I'm like, that was <laughs> awesome. And then from the reality of somebody experiencing me, they're like, that was shitty, something really shitty to say to me. And I feel like crap. And I had no awareness that people around me were experiencing me a certain way. And that's what the self-awareness gap is. It's, it's the gap is really how I think I'm coming across versus how people are actually experiencing me. And when there's a disconnect, that distance is the gap. And you are less self-aware if the gap is more. And you're more self-aware if the gap is getting closer and closer. And so for me, I had a huge self-awareness problem. And many leaders out in the corporate world also have a self-awareness problem. Their intent is good. Most leaders want to do good things. Most leaders have good intent, but they don't recognize the impact they're creating because they are not self-aware. And so the first step to build that self-awareness is through introspection, which is kind of like reflection, except much deeper, being able to look deeper within yourself and reflection, I would say stops at the surface layer. Reflection is basically walking into a meeting, doing a presentation, coming out and reflecting on what could I have said differently? How could I have presented differently? That's more reflection. Introspection is coming out of the meeting and asking yourself, why did I get upset when mm -hmm. Rob asked me that mm -hmm. question? Why did I react that way when mm -hmm. Nadia said that thing in the presentation, right? That's introspection, being able to truly understand yourself and how you're coming across. And then the other side to that is the feedback. 
I can only envision what I am experiencing, why I'm experiencing it, but I don't know how Rob might be experiencing me. So I need Rob to give me feedback. I need to hear feedback. So when you take introspection and feedback from the external perspective, you find ways to reduce that gap because you're able to recognize, oh, that's not what I thought, but now that Rob's given me this perspective, I can put two, the two together and I'm building more and more self-awareness. So as a leader, for me, I had mm. to go on that journey. I had to be introspective and introspection can come in many different forms. It can be through meditation. I have a practice that at the end of the day, when the sun sets, sun sets sorry, I basically sit down and meditate and reflect on how my day went. And I introspect, did I do the right thing today? Did I follow my day with integrity? Did I hurt anyone today? And when I had moments of where I couldn't control mm -hmm. myself, why couldn't I control myself and go through that introspection? And then the other form of practice I had to start following was I had to literally go out and keep begging for mm -hmm. feedback. I had to ask my team members, my family, anybody who worked with me to constantly give me feedback. I had to welcome feedback. I had to keep asking, can you please tell me what could I have done differently? How could I have presented this differently? How could I have spoken to you differently? And like constantly gather feedback. And as I was beginning to do that, uh, initially, I will tell you all my team members would give me oh, thumbs up. Yeah, the yes <laughs> man. Yeah, boss, yeah. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, you're great. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. 100%, you're great. That's because right. they were scared to give me honest feedback. But eventually, as they saw me practice more vulnerability, as they saw me take ownership, they were like, oh, wait, Muhammad, I, let me test him and give him a little bit of feedback. And from there, encouraging uh, feedback and me encouraging them to give feedback together with my introspection helped me start transforming my behaviors and transforming how I see people, how I behave around them, um, and so forth. So that's kind of how the journey started. And that's how we also advise and consult and coach leaders in the corporate world today through Culture Plus, how to go on that journey of introspection and how to go on the journey of behavior change. And the way we do it is uh, through Seneca leaders, the way we make that possible is we share our own vulnerable mm -hmm. stories. We create an empathic connection with the audience and they start to see themselves through our stories. And we take them through a journey of introspection through our, our stories. And so by the end of the session, they reach a state of realization. They have like a aha moment and they're like, oh my gosh, I now understand that I am probably not treating people the way I should be. And once they reach that stage of realization, then we take them to a stage of commitment and say, okay, now that you've been made aware, what are you gonna do to start changing those behaviors? So once they commit, then we give them actionable tools and resources to continue that journey of commitment into action. That's great. Very cool. Very cool. Muhammad, I, also, I, I love hearing stories about old Muhammad and then talking to you and, yes. and, and your very calm and measured tone and, and in your introspective period of your life. So I like the juxtaposition of those two folks. But when you tell those stories about you know, the, how you behaved before, you had this, uh, this enlightenment. None of that seems unnatural to me. And I think especially when you think about the pace that you're running at as a founder and you're starting up a company, some of the first things that are sacrificed at that pace are some of those 
more inclusive behaviors. And so would you say that there's anything, is there any inherent conflict between the way that you are now versus what you had to do as a startup? And so, and what are the, some of the things that you would tactically do to bring that introspection into your life back then, if you could go back and, 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 and talk about it to that, to your old, old self. So I probably, you know, work on a lot of things around forgiveness and vulnerability mm. at my beginning stage in startup world. Back then, I was not willing to accept my mistakes. I was not very open to admitting fault. Mm. I was also very revengeful. Mm -hmm. Like if people hurt me or said something that kind of rubbed me the wrong way, I that that was it. I I kind of had a book where I kept a list and track, okay, so-and-so did this to me, mm -hmm. said this to me, I'll have my mm -hmm. turn to get revenge. And so a lot of like seeking of justice mm -hmm. as a way of, you know, uh, getting back at people is something that I would try to avoid and try to limit myself from that place of unforgiveness and then I encourage myself to be more vulnerable. And I think those two things could probably keep me in check right. from losing sight of those inclusive mm -hmm. behaviors. I don't know if that That's helps great. answer your question. It does. No, I, I, I think it's great. And I think, and again, it's, uh, I love how open you are yeah. talking about some of those behaviors in the past. And, and, and we certainly see that you've had that big change and it's, it's a huge impact on the company and the trajectory of the businesses that you're running now as well. So it's pretty amazing to, to, to have that conversation. Definitely love that. Awesome. Well, Muhammad Anwar, thank you. It's, um, it's been a pleasure having you. Thank you for joining us today on Inclusive Collective. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Muhammad. Welcome back to the Calm Reflection section of our episode. Rob, I thoroughly enjoyed talking um, with Muhammad, him sharing and being super vulnerable and thoughtful about the decisions that he made and the impacts to his employees and the company and the deep reflection that he made and how he needed to change his behaviors was just so enlightening and and honestly very refreshing to hear because we unfortunately I don't hear enough of that happening within leadership behaviors. Um so yeah. what, what what were your thoughts? Yeah, it's fun to talk about love for an hour, yeah. right? Or, I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? For a long period of time. So yeah. it's fun, right? So there's there's so many ways that yeah, I, I appreciate that Nadia and I had the same reaction. There's so many ways to go with it, but I, what I wanted to do in this kind of reflection was focus on the origin story of, of Muhammad's transformation. Uh, and that was the decision to lay off some of his workforce. And, and he reflected on that. And both you and I have been laid off, right? We've been Twice part of over here. Twice? <laughs> yes. I was, I was in a layoff of one. Uh, <laughs> like they're, oh, like you were like, hey, the sole yeah. person? <laughs> <laughs> That's called being fired. If, like, oh my it, God. But, uh, but they're that's very nice saying like we no longer have a, yeah, that's basically <laughs> saying we no, we no longer have a position yeah. here for you. <laughs> yeah, that's called a breakup or yeah, it's yeah. not you, it's it's, it's, uh, it's me, yeah. something like that. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and we've been part of organizations that really treat layoffs as part of almost like strategic workforce planning, mm -hmm. right? They, they overhire and, when times are good. 
I just also just want to, we're laughing about it, but it's a very um, traumatic so kind of, ex- it's so, so stressful. stressful, it's traumatic. I'm laughing it, because I, I do that to, um, so that I don't cry, <laughs> right? Yeah. But yeah. 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 Uh, so, but a lot of companies really treat, treat it as part of workforce planning, right? They overhire when times are good. They figure we'll just cut people when, uh, you know, in a downturn, we'll cut staff in a downturn. Right. One company I was part of, I distinctly remember that we had, you know, we had just had layoffs for thousands of workers. Uh-huh. And the next week we we're in this swanky seaside resort oh, looking right. out over the ocean okay. and the CEO stopped in and, and he said something to the effect of, you know, it really kills me that we had to let our friends go, but there was, there was nothing that we could do about it. Right. Uh, <laughs> and then he, then he walked off stage and got on his, one of his many private jets and, and, oh, and zipped off to another meeting. No so, way. <laughs> and so that's that's not what we're talking about here. So in the early stages of a company, mm-hmm. it's very reasonable that a founder would would get a little bit out of their skis, right? You're growing mm-hmm. very fast uh, and they grow. And in that downturn, or if there's, you know, something happens, there's a downturn and they have to make a choice, cut labor costs or lose the business entirely. Mm-hmm. So I get that and I respect that those that, conditions exist. Do you think that that happens or exists like between series of funding? Because maybe they're not projecting. I, I mean, there's probably so many factors, right? But I'm just curious. Like that just kind of sparked. Yeah, so many, so many, so many factors. Probably when you you get a round of funding, and and that funding is for a purpose of growing, mm-hmm. right? And so, you know, but but at any time, economic conditions can dictate that you have to pull back or you right. just you're not seeing necessarily the growth that you thought you were seeing okay. and and you have to make that make those choices right so so i do want to focus on muhammad's own reflection that you know usually there are actually alternatives mm-hmm. uh at, at least to explore so instead of so let's say for example you want to pull back on you know one option is to let go of 25 percent of the workforce one thing to consider is, is just across the board salary cuts of, of that 25%, right? In order to, to cut costs. Mm-hmm. So everyone feels the pain, including the leadership of the company. Mm-hmm. So not saying that's the right thing in all conditions. And obviously there's drawbacks to that approach as well, but it's right. at least worth exploring. Right. And then there's the fact that how you handle a layoff or letting people go is just as important as the act itself, right? So if it's, if it's a surprise, if there's a lack of transparency, Mm-hmm. leading up to a layoff that's bad right and that in, in any situation mm-hmm. and that will er- erode trust so even with the team that, that stays in place and i think that muhammad goes through that very de- in a lot of detail and so establishing that trust is really everything so as a founder if you want to build an inclusive culture that's sustainable once that trust is broken it's really hard to get it back it's really yeah. hard to to reestablish that and everyone in a company realizes that the, that the company is not necessarily committed to them, right? right? And 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 that they're just they're just a piece or a cog in the wheel. So, right. um, so so some things that can mitigate that surprise include those those very solid business hygiene practices, such as reviewing financials with the entire organization mm-hmm. on a quarterly basis, and having those town halls, those Q and As, where people can ask. Uh, anything that they want, mm-hmm. just having those those that interaction between the leadership and the organization very frequently. The transparency sure that transparency yeah. is important. Yeah, yeah. Make sure if there, if there are difficult times ahead, make sure people know about it mm-hmm. well in advance so that they're prepared for anything. Um, and then from an equity perspective, the process of of letting people go should be given as much care 
in terms of understanding the representation as as hiring, right? right so in terms of yeah. ensuring that there is appropriate representation throughout the process, just as you would in terms of like creating a hiring panel for uh, that is diverse. The the people that making the decisions as to who stays should also be diverse, mm -hmm. uh, and you definitely want to make sure that you're looking at demographic metrics when making those decisions as well, right? So sure. it's a an act of building your company for the future, right? It should, it should be thought of that that way. Uh, and so you would want to keep, take as much care and make sure that those decisions are equitable as you would in your hiring practices. Sure. Yeah. And I would imagine just in terms of representation, you you probably spent all this energy and intention to build more diverse teams when you were hiring in. The last thing you'd want to do when you're when you're going through either attrition or letting go of people is to lose those diverse teams. So like being intentional on just kind of looking at your demographics, like you said, and, and having um, an understanding and intentions on, on really who you're keeping um, and the skill sets. Can those skill sets be cross skill? I mean, we can go through like a whole thing right here. Yeah, yeah <laughs> but for, like, sure, for sure. But um, yeah, I love that. That I love those that those suggestions for sure. Well, thank you, Rob. That was super insightful. Um, Want to thank Muhammad again of Softway and Culture Plus for joining us this week. To our listeners, we thank you as well. The Inclusive Collective podcast is a production of Refilion Media. If you like what you hear, please uh, be sure to like, rate, and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. Uh, we'd also love to hear from you and your feedback. So check us out at www.refilion.com. And you can also find us on Instagram at Inclusive Collective Podcast, um, all one word. I'm Nadia Butt. And I'm Rob Hadley. And we'll see you next week.